Hey listeners, Blair Fraser here and welcome back to another episode of Technology Innovation Series, part of the Maintenance Disrupted Podcast, where we try to dive deeper into the people and technology fueling Industry 4.0. Now the importance of knowing what equipment we have out there in the field is the foundation of all of our maintenance and reliability improvement initiatives. But do we truly know what we have out there? For most of us, the answer is no. No way in heck do we have it. We have an idea but not all the fine details. So typically triggered by an event like a company merger or new capital projects, we send our highly skilled workers out into the field to start collecting data. Here's a pen, here's a paper, or nowadays here's a, a tablet or a cell phone, start taking pictures. And this has been accepted as the way it is. There has to be a better way. And in comes image recognition, AI, crowdsourcing, and proven practices and applications to increase the accuracy of the data and significantly reduce the amount of effort to collect and make sense of this data. I promise you, if you have ever had to collect asset data again, you will want to listen to this podcast with Stephen Crampton of Utopia. But before we get into the podcast, a quick note from our sponsor. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Doby here, one of your hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. If maintaining heavy equipment in BC and Alberta is part of your job, I'm excited to tell you about the fuel and lubricant supplier, StarWest Petroleum. Having personally worked with StarWest, I can tell you their service is unmatched, and they are committed to saving you both money and downtime. Their service team learns your equipment and suggests ways to extend its life and overall perform better. I was in the throes of starting a new job at a large-scale mine in BC, and we wanted to improve reliability quickly. One of our top issues was hydrocarbon management, and with the support of StarWest team, we were able to reduce our cost and ultimately chart a better path forward for our hydrocarbon management. My bosses were impressed, but I really can't take the credit. StarWest Petroleum did all the legwork. StarWest is a top-tier distributor of Phillips 66 lubricants, Kendall Performance Motor Oils, Phillips 66 Aviation Lubricants, Redline Synthetics, and Aspen Alkylate Fuel for Professionals. Also available from StarWest is clear and marked gasoline and diesel, heating and furnace oil, but really it's their customer service that stands out. For more information, go to starwestpetroleum.ca or send me an email and I will get you in contact with the StarWest team. You'll be glad you did, and so will your equipment. Now, here's your episode. to Maintenance Disrupted. This is the technology innovation series where we take a deeper dive into the technology and people feeling industry 4.0. So Stephen, I appreciate you coming on Maintenance Disrupted today. Thank you for the opportunity. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've, I've, I think I messaged you a long time ago about doing this and we're finally getting at this today, but uh, we go back a number of years when I first saw your technology and I thought, you know, wow, what a it's not even a, I guess it kind of is a better mousetrap, but what, you know, when we think about technology of, of sometimes technology can really change the way we do something, right? Fundamentally, pen and paper and things like that, technology can start to change things. And, and specifically when I found your technology, and I'll let you explain it because you'll do it better than I did. I'm like, this is the type of stuff that needs to happen to our industry. We need to stop wasting time 
uh, and resources on things that are traditionally low value added tasks to get the information, then to get the insights from that information. And when I came across your technology, I've always been a fan. And that's why when we started doing this podcast, I thought I need to reach out to Stephen to get you on the show. So for the audience, Stephen, why don't you give a little background on yourself and, uh, you know, the exciting new updates from, from your company? Okay. Um, well, my background's in engineering um, and engineering software, to be specific. Um, then I transitioned from engineering into a maintenance space uh, for maintenance master data. And in that role, I got to see lots of lots of databases for really big companies, lots of SAP systems, Maximo systems. And I was struck by how poor the data was. Everybody was spending a lot of money on the system side of it, implementing the next version of SAP, implementing all these work practices. But the data inside the systems was was wrong. Uh, so yeah, you would start with something that was bad and it got worse over time. That's right. Actually, so, that's a good point. Yeah, it never was good. It was no, always bad to begin with. Exactly. So you might take the, the data from engineering because that's typically the best quality that you've got. It's pretty well change controlled, but that's not the data that went to procurement. So I might've specified a particular pump and procurement that bought something to go in there and construction may have put something else in there and operations may have swapped it out several times. So what's in the maintenance database might still be just that it's that pump. Well, I don't know if it's still there and I don't know what make model serial number it is. So I say to people, it's like saying, I'm 90% sure I've got a car. <laughs> I don't know if it's a BMW or a Buick, or how do you expect me to buy the right spare parts for it, schedule the right maintenance for it? It's literally that simple, but I'll go to customers where I'll see you know, big companies that might have 150,000 assets and 90% you know, of their database has got no make model serial number in there. And the ones that are in there, they don't have confidence with anyway. That's right. So what I would see is if you're really trying to get to the industry 4.0, the starting point for everything is you need to know with confidence what you have. If you don't know what you have, how do you start to build the optimum processes to optimize your supply chains, optimize your work practices, um, and, and remove waste from the process? So as part of that, what I would see is that the only data that people really trusted on their assets was the data that was physically attached to the equipment. And when you go out onto the equipment, you might have the tag number that the person's put on there. You've got the manufacturer's nameplate. You might have a repair plate. So PSV's gone out to get repaired. It's got a repair plate on it. You might have calibration information. You might have the vendor who sold it, you know, it might come from GE and they put their nameplate on it, and, but it might still have the, you know, the original um, manufacturer's nameplate. So there's lots and lots of information on a piece of equipment, and that's the information that people trust. But that's not always, or I would say, seldom reflected in the in the data that's in the database. And the other thing is that it's temporal; it changes over time. Things. Like I've done, I did a refinery that was built in 1932. And I <laughs> 19, think the oldest. 1932. 
Yeah, and so. I think the oldest piece of equipment I saw in there was was manufactured in 2004. Right. So things are changing continuously. So the validity of that make model serial number has a start and an end point, whereas the data we're putting into the system is assumed to be right forever. I've captured the make model serial number. And so what we need to be doing is being able to collect that data in the field and putting it into the database. Now, historically, what people do is get a, an engineer to go out and do that because it's not a low-skilled job. If I showed you a different nameplate, there's lots and lots of data on there, but I've got a fixed number of fields that need to go into my database. So which, which ones do I need to get? So I need somebody who understands all the different nameplates to go out there and collect it. So what people do is they go out and they'll type it down or write it out and we collect all of that data, but it's really slow. So number one, I need an expensive person to go out and do it. And number two, when you start to look at the processes, you're looking, when you consider the, the, the field time and the back office time, you're probably looking at about 40 assets a day that a really expensive person can get. And it's a really error-prone process, even like that. Right. So, so that was so on average, like to go out and capture the information from your pieces of equipment that are out there, or you know, the listeners' pieces of equipment. It's it's around average, but you can capture accurately, or what you think is accurately, about forty pieces of equipment or forty assets a day. Yeah, so when you right. consider the, the out there and the, the back office, when yeah. I get back in, I've got to upload this and do all that sort of stuff. That's right. You and might it, you might get you might get sixty or seventy. It's it's variable, but let's say of course, it's between yeah. forty yeah. and seventy. Yeah, you'll hit the low hanging fruit first, right? The ones closest to your office door. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I, before exactly. you get on there, I just want to give that car analogy. I think that was a beautiful way of putting it because you know a lot of people don't even know. You know the specs on their car like yeah it's blue and it's it's a ford right like that's mm -hmm. that's kind of it but that's so true because you know in in my years i've gone through and and even when i was responsible you know for the assets in the facility i look back and i'm like that pump used to be green right it's blue now right i'm like what what happened there oh i replaced it and i'm using the blue and green as a, a yeah, know, exactly. attribute but it's not obviously they changed the pump and you go back in the cms system and there's no record, right? Mm -hmm. Which is so common, right? So I think that analogy of, of yeah, pretty certain, about 90% certain I got a car, right? I think that's what you said. 90% certain there's a pump out there, pretty sure, right? Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it is. And that was yeah. that's how I came across you. And I'll, I'll give the listeners some background is um, I was with a, a, a Emerson Impact Partner or a local business partner at the time. And I was actually pursuing a project, a larger reliability project. And this customer had, the right knowledge to say, we need to capture, we need to know, I think you put it right, you need to know what you have as a starting point. And it doesn't matter, you mentioned for Industry 4.0, but literally for anything in our field of maintenance reliability, you need to know what you have. That is ground zero, that is ultimate truth, right? So no, no, with precision. That's right, No, yeah, with precision and confidence, right? And uh, yeah, and that was it. So we started going through the number of assets. And as you said, this this was an energy facility. so you know, thousands of assets, right? And they started thinking, and then we started looking at this, well, how many resources do we need? Well, and, you know, so you think about the types of assets. So you mentioned a PRV, 
right? Not every person knows what a PRV looks like. Not every person knows what a pressure transmitter looks like. Not every person knows what a motor and pump combination looks like. Well, they might just grab the motor nameplate, not the pump nameplate, right? So you do, and that's what your first thing is, you still need skilled people to go out there to say, that's a pump, that's a motor, that's a PRV, even those skills might be different, right? But what you're doing them is getting them to identify and then squint their eyes, stand on their left foot, bite your tight in the rung, and, and then try to write down, hopefully, what you can get of these serial numbers and what's left. Because let's be honest, our environments that most of us live in, they're not friendly environments, right? They're outside, they're in crappy areas, they're covered in dirt, dust, and sometimes blood, right? Is it's very difficult. So you're paying a very, you know, skilled and hopefully well-paid resource to try to guess the best they can on these nameplate datas and things like that, right? Yeah. So you're, you're, you've hit on a really good point there, that, that um, the conditions that are there and, and how you can get that productivity. Because historically, people have persisted with, with bad data because it's been prohibitively expensive and difficult to find the people that can actually do that job that like you outlined. So people limp along with what they've got. But the, the idea that it came up with Audifil was to say, well, how do people collect data today? If you're sitting in a meeting room and somebody's writing things on the whiteboard, do you write it down or do you get your iPhone out and take a photo? Absolutely. You if, take a photo. If, uh, if a tech, a mechanic or electrician comes to your house and installs your air, an air conditioner. Nobody will tell him to do it. He'll get out his iPhone and take a photo of what he installed. And that's his personal private record. Yep. There's a lot of data on equipment. So we want to capture that. And the way the world captures information today is not writing it down. It is taking a photo. Mm -hmm. So we want to build on what people would do for free and take photos. Now, you hit on another really good thing. The amount of databases I saw, if they did have uh, make model serial number, is, um, is I would see a pump manufactured by WEG. Obviously, WEG don't make pumps, they make motors. So the guy has not known what he's looking at, gone up and written down that I, I can see the WEG nameplate much easier than I can see the Goulds Name right. so it must be a WEG. And so you do need somebody that understands what they're looking at. But what we've done a lot of good stuff with um, with uh, instrument techs. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's been a really good thing. You know, people who are out there calibrating the equipment, they know what they're looking at. Um, they're available, everywhere's got instrument techs. Give them a, a, a phone and tell them to start taking photos while they're out and about or give them a job to go and walk that down. So having people is, is good, but what you've also got is that local knowledge of the site is really important. Right, yeah. So the people that are out there maintaining and calibrating and doing all that work, give them a phone. I don't want them to sit there, waste their time uh, writing things down. I just want you to wander around. You know what you're looking at. You can follow the PNIDs, take some photos, and then you're done. And then what we see is obviously highly variable, depends how close the assets are together, but you're looking at anywhere from three to five times the, the throughput. 
You know, you're looking suddenly at 150 to 250 assets a day on resources that you already have or you have contractual relationships with. And that dramatically changes the productivity. So right. you've got so, a vast array of photographs that are generated. Right. And, it, and really the magic because, you know, you don't have to be really skilled at taking a picture. Most of us can do it fairly good, right? Um, and, and, you know, it, it, I challenge, you know, sometimes because company policies, you can't take photos, but you can get exceptions. There's no intellectual property in a nameplate, right? As long as it's a company employee doing that and you follow the rules. And even with uh, classified areas, there is ways to take pictures with permits and, and things like that, or get exposure proof camera, which exists, right? Um, and tablets and things like that. So, you know, really the, the value of that is, you know, someone that can quickly go out there when they're doing routes or, you know, building a proper, um, anyway, is, is the right word taxonomy or, or that, what would you call that base of information of your assets, types, and model numbers? That's got a word for it. I just can't think of it's, it. It's the master data. You build the master data. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Thank you. I'm going to edit that part out because I don't look like an idiot. Um, so building that master, I'm actually not because it's going <laughs> to make for a funny <laughs> podcast, but, um, yeah, so you're building that master data and, you know, it, first of all, it's a living, breathing organism. Master data always changes, right? Um, so it doesn't have to be done in one shot, right? So as I mentioned, no. uh, you know, as that, so if you're going to cap start capturing instrument data, as that instrument tech is going out there, or as the mill right goes out there, snap as many nameplates as you can while you're working on this and bring it into the database, right? It's not like you have to spend three years and go take 5,000 pictures. Yeah. Um, there is a couple of schools of thought to it. Where you're talking about is actually the ultimate of where we want to be. Um, taking photos does take some time. Mm -hmm. you know, it's an additional step. So as long as you can say, well, this is actually part of their responsibility, it will get done. So uh, what we see a lot of the time is people taking photos is new to them. So what we see is um, I've, I've done one project in North America where we did that initial project where we went out and captured photos and 10,000 assets over a couple of weeks. Um, then from there, they saw, wow, we've got our rich, our data, and that was great, and we've uploaded that to Maximo, but we've now got this amazing photo archive that we can start to integrate into our work processes. So now all their inspectors and anybody that's going out and visiting an asset is taking photos just as they would go through. So the archive is continuing to grow. Right. So people generally, I, I would see them do that initial big bang yeah. until they convince themselves of the value of having that photo archive and keeping it up to date from there. Right. But you're exactly right. That's where you want to get to because the most expensive part in this is getting somebody to stand in front of the equipment. Right, exactly. So if, if you've got so, people going there already, get them taking photos. And, and really where, where Orbital came in is, is the magic isn't, taking pictures there's really no intellectual property and in grabbing an iphone and taking a no. picture it's how you get that three to five times throughput is on you know that back end work so what happens yeah. so i go out there and i take pictures of you know one day i can get maybe 120 assets now so i've given you a uh i've gone out there and i've taken pictures of prvs instruments uh valves motors pumps what happens after that part when does the magic come in the the secret source 
is what has happened in libraries since the beginning of libraries. If I've got a building full of books, I can't find any information. So what a library has is a classification. So I know what's in the book before I open the page mm -hmm. and I have cataloging. So I know where to find it. That allows me to extract information from a building full of books. Okay. So what we've got is the same thing is a mobile app on an Android or a, or a, um, an iPhone device. Phones are usually better than tablets because the cameras are much better. You can use it with one hand. As you mentioned, you can easily get explosion proof cases, class one, div two, IEX type cases that you can put a standard phone in. Um, and I just want to touch on one thing, other thing that you mentioned before is the security profile. You're exactly hmm. right. A nameplate, the information in a nameplate came from a manufacturer. It wasn't your information. Anybody that bought that same transmitter has exactly that same information. So usually the security, which is really important, we focus on the, inf the security profile of the information. And usually, you know, it's, right. it's, it's just a nameplate. So That's we can right. do that. So going back, our mobile app, because we don't want it to be just a personal record. I use the example of the electrician installing an air conditioner, takes a few photos, that's his personal record. So what we do is we have a mobile app which organizes that data. So rather than just take a photo, we'll take a photo of the tag, we'll take a photo of the equipment, what it looks like within its space, a nameplate photo, a calibration photo, a service label photo, uh, vendor label photo. So it's lots of will classify what the photo is. So just with one click. So you take a picture and you classify it in one click. So the, the yeah. process of taking the photo actually classifies it within the app. So, so I guess so. I can tell you what I used to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I used to do is um, I walked around with a digital camera at that point. I really, mm -hmm. we're, we're still in the Nokia, no phone, no, no cameras on the phone. So I walked around with a digital camera at that point and I had a whiteboard and I would, a small little whiteboard, the size of a sheet of paper. And I would write the asset name and keep that whiteboard in the frame of the picture because that camera would save the picture image 293402. And it wasn't sequential. And I got to remember how, okay, when did I do it? So that was my way of making sure that I knew that nameplate was for that asset. And if I ever forgot to put that tag name in there, I'm like, uh oh, is that for that one or is that for that one? And it was just a pure nightmare to, to be able to remember when you took those pictures and what asset it was. Because you're zoomed in a nameplate, you don't get context, right? Exactly. So what, what you're talking about there is that what I would call the cataloging, you know, which asset does this belong to? And it gets even more complex when you, you might have a pump and it has a multiple or an item with multiple nameplates. So I might have a control valve mm -hmm. and it's got the actuator and the valve and a positioner Positioner. And a solenoid valve and all these things, which may or may not have their own reference in the CMMS. Mm -hmm. You know, some customers might just bundle that assembly as a as control a valve. Right. So, you know, which ones do I do? So we, we not only want to be able to catalog it against this control valve, you know, PV, whatever, um, what we want to be able to do is then create components underneath that. So say, this is the actuator, this is the solenoid valve, this is the positioner, and collect that data 
because in my CMMS, I can have one make model serial number. Right. So how do I segregate yep. that and which one should it be? So once again, with one click to create as many components as I want, which then allow us to start to build out bonds. So those classifications of the photos also, if you start to think about it, if I have a look at the tag, so the, the operators put the tag, you know, brass tag on, on the equipment, trying to get make model serial number out of that, it's a waste of time. That's right. Or if I've had a, a PSV that's had a repair and I take a photo of that, that's the contractor that did the repair. That's not the manufacturer. So what we're doing by classifying all the photos is we're actually defining a schema of attributes that we can get out of each photo. So that then drives the backend process of how we start to get the data out of that. So right. that, that's really important, that classification and cataloging. Right, and you're doing that at the time you took the pictures. So you can help so to- you're doing, you're doing that you're doing that cataloging and classifying as you take the pictures. That's one click and it's all being mm -hmm. done. We don't want people keying in anything. We just, you know, add a component, take a photo. And I can take multiple photos. So if I think about- uh, mm, Different angles. Uh, think about a Rose Mount transmitter, 3051S, nice curve. Know it well, yep. <laughs> yeah, 3051S. Yep. And I might, need to take three or four photos to get that whole model number in. You get, yeah, to get wrap around get, get the, the, yeah. wrap around it. Yeah. So what we're doing is not just looking at a photo, we're looking at arrays of photos. Right. So we look at arrays of, of classified photos and the model number might be spread over several photos. Right. So we need exactly. to be able to do it that way. And um the, and then, the other thing that, that that we're doing there, sorry to interrupt no, is, is is with we have the concept of it changing over time that we we organize everything automatically as an asset visit so i may go there today and it looks like this and these are the attributes we get today but i might visit it in 18 months time and there's a different item in there and right. i need to be able to see that and see how it's changed over time you know your red versus blue uh, yeah that's right that you were talking yeah, about yeah. And, and be able to persist that sure. so Right. And, and, you know, from, from knowing your technology, we, you know, that is a, a value added feature to help, as you said, organize. So um, classify and, and, and uh, categorize those pictures you're taking. Right. And again, there's still that right there is useful. So you could stop right there and probably solve a lot of problems, solve some efficiency, but we're still not at that, you know, three to five X increase in, in throughput, as you put it, to get to those accurate, precise information into my master of record. So yeah. what starts to happen after we do that? Yeah, you're exactly right. There's, by just taking the photos, I've geolocated it. Um, okay. I can refine yeah. the geolocation. Yeah. So getting a lot of that. everything. Yeah. yeah, so, and we can display that on Google Maps and all that sort of stuff. Interesting, I never thought um, of that concept. Yeah, yeah. yeah interesting. So being, yeah. Able, being able to say, uh, hmm. One of the solutions we have is to be able to have a plugin for Maxima or SAP that says, show me this current asset and everything that's within 10 yards of it, for example, um, to look at it within context. And, and I can display all the photos. So like you said, there's a benefit from just going out and capturing that data like that. 
But then the next thing is I want to extract data from that photo array. And we use a number of ways of doing that. So I'll go through the three primary ways that we do that. The first, the first one is object detection. So it's no secret to anybody listening to this that the stuff we're dealing with, like you said, is in hazardous environments, is dirty, dusty, grimy, corroded. Um, so stuff's hard to read. But what we've got is because we've taken so many photos, we've trained a machine learning model to recognize different types of equipment. So let's say I've got a Fisher control valve and I can't read any of the nameplate. It's, it's covered in dirt. I'll be able to tell you it's a Fisher control valve right. without reading any text. And you're doing that automatically. We can do that automatically. We do that for about four or 500 pieces of equipment, uh, brands yeah. of equipment. Because you, you, um, could, you could show me a Fisher valve and I would say, because I, I lived and breathed them, I would know a Fisher valve when I see them. Even, even if you painted exactly. that dark thing blue, I'd tell you it's a Fisher valve. But um, most and people- we're doing, right. we're doing exactly the same thing. Right. So um, it's, it's the same thing as with machine learning, you can show a photo of a cat or a dog and that's because the algorithm has been trained with you know, millions of cat and dog photos. It can that's predict right. what it is. We're doing the same thing in recognizing what it is to start with. Mm -hmm. But then we want to go down to the next level. Well, you know, is it 3051S, 3051T, right. um, and start to understand that level. And with that, we're using um, OCR, which is helpful, but not a solution in itself. Because remember the underlying photos are a pretty degraded sort of <laughs> right. things. Right, so, sorry, so o OCR stands for? Oh, I'm sorry, text recognition, op optical character recognition, text recognition. Okay. Right. Um, so if we can extract text, we'll do it. And it, it, you know, to be honest, right. it should be no secret, it's hit and miss because uh, it's getting better over time, but it's helpful as part of the solution. So. Right. There's object detection, text recognition. So, yeah, so let's stop. Let's stop there before you get in the third one, because the third one's really special, I think. But um, you know, so at this point, you know, walking through this user journey that uh, we had uh, Cody from Tech Resources when he implements in these innovation pro projects at his facility, a huge mine. He always talks about this user journey. So I'm starting to bring that into context here. So imagine you're trying to get your master day up to date. You take these pictures. You're starting to classify them, catalog them while you take the pictures, one click at your cell phone, you bring this data back. And so far we've talked about two ways of extracting the, the data from the pictures you've taken. The first one is object detection, which is going to say, yes, that's a, that's a vowel for your example, right? And help with mm -hmm. that. And the next one is that text recognition. It's gonna do the best job it can at saying, geez, is that a zero, is that a nine, right? But as you said, you know, and, and it comes to, to our industry, you know, and, and I, I say this respectively of other industries because often, you know, our, I'll say our industry of manufacturing, energy, mining, those type of industries, we get compared to like healthcare. And if you want to do like a smart hospital, like th those are generally clean environments, easy to read, they're, they're taken care of, right? You mm -hmm. go to our environments and, and, you know, you take a look at that Fisher valve and this is kudos to Fisher, but that Fisher valve could have been put in in 1932 and it could still be that same darn valve that's in there right <laughs> seen some of them yeah so chances are that nameplate is going to have a little wear and tear right it's going to have exactly. a little bit 
bit of that. So that's where the third one comes in, right? All right, the third one, the magic third one. Yeah. Um, it's a thing called crowdsourcing. And crowdsourcing is what drives artificial intelligence. Remember I talked about, I've got the dog or the cat. Mm -hmm. So what happens is crowdsourcing networks were established by the likes of Amazon and other people to build and collect human intelligence to train machine learning models. So I mentioned that you might show people a million photos of is it a cat or is it a dog? Right. And a crowdsourcing network would get a human, they call it human intelligence tasks or a hit. And it's for um, letting millions and millions of people execute a hit and collecting that data and then plugging it into a machine learning model. So we plug into those same crowdsourcing networks and we build hits like really granular things that would let a person work through an attribute. And then we collect that as a hit. And that hit, by the way, doesn't have to be extracting text. It could be, show me the direction of rotation of this compressor. Can you see an arrow showing that? Or is this rusted? Or is it painted red or green? Or is it inside or outside? Is it in a pool of water? There's no limit to the hits that you can structure and collect right. that data back. But the point is, all of these have got errors. So we don't trust one. So I can say, this is a really important attribute. I want three agreeing data points. Or it's run-of-the-mill one, I only want two. Mm -hmm. So what we'll say is, okay, object detection said it was a Baldor motor. And a human said it was a Baldor motor. Two, it's a match. I've got a serial number. The OCR said it was one, two, three, four. The human said it was one, two, three, four. It's a match. I couldn't get any OCR. I couldn't get any object detection. So let's get two different humans yeah. to put in a number. Right. So it's all about independently verifying what's being seen. Right. Because the source is really bad, generally. You're looking, you're so essentially, we, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's right. We're just say, getting mul multiple agreeing values before we have confidence. It, it's about measurable quality. If I send somebody out in the field to write down data, it's binary. Might be right, might be wrong. Might be wrong. It's let, one pin. Let, let, and let's look at that uh, Rosemount 3051T transmitter we talked about that might have a, a very, very large model number, you know, 26 characters long, mm -hmm. the chances of one person writing that correctly down in the field is about zero, I reckon. That's um, right. So what we're trying to do is get multiple uh, concurrent or agreeing data points before we accept it. So it's measurable quality. So if I've got 10, 10 data points, it's probably really poor quality because nobody was agreeing. If I just get two and I got it straight up, I'd have a lot of confidence in that. So it's not just that binary, is it right or is it wrong? I've got data coming to tell me how much confidence I should have in it. Great. And I think, you know, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for consensus. And it's often we do that when we're not thinking about it. Like we'll do it all the time. Well, back when we used to work in offices, right? Before this all happened and you could actually turn to someone, hey, what do you think that is? Is that a, is that a zero or is that a nine? Right? We do it. Oh, yeah. We do it daily. We just don't know. Hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. Or does that look yeah. like that's going to fit? Or 
Thank you. You've, you've hit on the really next, the next level of the process. Um, a B or an eight, a G or a six. Oh, yeah, you you've know, gone through these. Sort of stuff, all <laughs> of that sort of stuff. A B and an eight, and, son of a gun. And I could, I could show a hundred people this photo and a hundred people say it's a B. But then when I look at the fleet, because people don't buy the equipment as one-offs. I might have 10, 30, 51 Cs. I might have um, 40 of uh, these particular Fisher field view positioners. Mm -hmm. And what I can start to do is look at consistency plus consistency between other projects we've done to say, well, you know, that photo definitely looked like a B, but you know what? Everyone else on the eighth character has got it as an eight. Right. So let's have a look at that again and see if it could actually be. Go back to Sesame Street days here. One of these things is not like the other, right? <laughs> Pretty much. So then we can, yeah, we're doing, we're getting better and better at this is using machine learning to identify outliers. We're not there yet, but we're pretty mm -hmm. close on that to, to start to be looking at groups and identifying outliers. But a lot of the time it's a, simply a process of going through to, to look at that. You can have, so that sort of allows you to look at nameplates that are really, really damaged. But by lining them up, Sesame Street days, it, it pops out. Um, that's right. And there's a number of ways you can go about doing that. So that's that's it. Uh, using several techniques to get the data out and then going through a consistency check brand by brand, um, making sure everything lines up properly. Right, so, exactly. And yeah, and, and I think that's the, you know, really the the secret sauce. It's not just one thing. It's 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 a the right combination of the right things to build confidence in the mm. data being accurate. Exactly. Right? Yes. And yeah. I think so. And I think you know, m most everyone that's listening to this podcast is has been through some sort of master data record. It doesn't really matter what job you're in. At some point, you use master data for for anything, right? Yes. And they've gone through it. And so, you know, we're talking about, you know, essentially three to five times more of the throughput covering those assets per day, right? And, you know, it doesn't take much. You don't really need to be a business brain to figure out the savings that it would cost to start to build that master data with um, that type of throughput versus the standard pen and paper brute force but what you probably have difficult measuring on that ROI is what's the cost of the inaccuracy of that data if you use the pen and paper model, right? Because that'll trickle through everything, right? So the, the savings is there from a time and resource and things like that. But the true value comes with the accuracy of the data because you're going to build your PDM program. You're going to build your reliability centered maintenance. You're going to build your spare parts. You're going to build everything on top of this data. That's an awesome point. The other one that I would like to highlight is inconsistency and trying to manage inconsistency. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, humans have originated that data, whether it's a nameplate or a, a, a vendor label. So if you send somebody out there to get one make model serial number, they'll get it from the label that is easiest to get for them. But what we're doing is taking photos of every label that's on the piece of equipment. 
And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you've got a calibration label and maybe a service label and a manufacturer's label, seldom, if ever, are they exactly the same. That's right. They might have the model numbers abbreviated on one or wrong on another one. The serial mm -hmm. number doesn't match up. The amount of times you see that. So what we're doing is actually persisting that and, and getting the data from where it exists. So I'll have like a, a vendor serial number, a manufacturer's serial number, inspector's serial number, and persist that in the database, depending on which photo it's coming from. Right. So that allows us to understand the inconsistencies in the source of the data and to have confidence in that, you can actually trace back instantly to any of the photos for verification. Because like you said, it's about having that confidence mm -hmm. in the data. And there's lots of, I didn't come up with that term of managed inconsistency, but I think it's a beautiful thing it to explain, yeah. explain it, that, that we have different data from different sources and it's, it's generally going to be inconsistent and understanding that there is not just one thing it was this person's interpretation of it at that time. And they should kind of all sort of line up, but they don't always line up. So you want right. to be able to manage that. And it's not just one thing. So we're trying to be able to persist that data and, and have full traceability to where it came from. So again, you can have confidence. That's right. That, you know, yeah. I'm looking. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm looking, looking at this make model serial number that I was given by the process. How do I believe it? Bang, here's all the photos That's available right. for it. So. Yeah, and having photos, obviously, other than just getting the nameplate data is also valuable for other reasons as well, and you have those photos there, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, so, um, so you, yeah, so you, did you, did you found or, or, Ordital? Ordital. Ordital. Auditor is the name I didn't come up with. I uh, engaged, I, I started Auditor in 2014. Um, I, I talked to some people to get a name I could build a business around. Um, it was a bootstrap startup that I just founded myself. And we, yeah. we're, we're pretty successful in doing a lot of really good projects all around the world. Um, projects in, in oil and gas, um, Offshore, did sausage factories, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> yeah, I even I even did all the jails in a. In a Isn't state that in interesting? Australia. You gotta yeah, love this yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that the range of it was uh, used it across all sorts of industries, and it it works. Um, I got to a stage where I knew I'd taken as far as I could as a bootstrap starter. I needed to either bring in investors or look to get acquired and hmm. bringing in investors was probably not going to work for me. I think that um, was a, on the surface level, I don't know your business model, but I would say in general, if you can avoid investors, <laughs> you exactly, try to. Exactly. Yeah. So I've been working with uh, Utopia um, in my previous company. Um, Utopia was a partner at one stage. So I knew about them and knew a lot of the people there. And it started to work with them as partners over the last year or so. And they were going in a lot of the same directions I was doing, They're investing a lot of money in machine learning and doing things that were compatible. And it was just a really nice fit for where we could go. Um, so Utopia acquired the company 
I think it was at the end of September. Mm -hmm. um, and the journey got even more interesting in that Utopia itself was acquired by Prometheus Group. So, you know, gotta love this world. You gotta love this follow, world. Follow the bouncing ball. But That's for me, right. it's, it, it's, you know, it's allowing it to take the ne that next level and, and get bigger and better. And it, it, it's you know, a pretty exciting place to be. So, so that's the journey from Auditor, which is what I started, um, yep. through to now Prometheus. Group, right, which, which is uh, which is great. And then you know, obviously, with the the strength and power of Prometheus Group, and and you know, it, it can then build upon the next level of once you have this mastered data. Then obviously, Prometheus has the the platforms and experience in place to take it, you know, further. What you do with that mastered data, and it's going to continue. And and I think that's what's great about these you know mergers and acquisitions that are happening at a yeah. rapid pace, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, ultimately, one of the parts that I was looking at to start this business um, was reuse of data and essentially master data as a service. Mm -hmm. And Prometheus uh, putting a lot of effort in that area. Um, and, and I came up with, I saw this when I was doing a lot of work in uh, Western Australia. And there was major LNG plants being built by by Chevron, by Shell, by Woodside, by Apache, all these people that were literally 100 metres between each other's offices on the one street. And they all had teams building the same master data on the same equipment, building the same attributes. And it's like, surely you've got to be able to just do it once and make it available right. to everybody. I mean, that's long-term where I think it just needs to get. So the idea is that we're building all this data, but we're you know, building our own content libraries to make it easier and better and smarter. And I think that'll continue to evolve over time. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea is, you know, find it. And that's what we're doing with that auditor solution, but to do it in such a way that it's a content library that's getting better and smarter and richer to build better quality, cheaper and smarter and faster over time. So, right. so and they're all, that's, why it's a, a good fit because you know that's obviously their vision of the world of where to get to with it great well Stephen, i, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm so glad we had this opportunity to, to go through this technology i think it needs to not to say it's not out there but i think it needs to get out there to allow you know our listeners are our, our skilled highly trained resources that can do better things with their time than start writing serial numbers down and i think this technology um is much needed in, in our industry and thank you for bootstrapping it as far as you could and giving this technology out here. Um, you know, as you, you said, there was, I wrote it down here is, you know, there's gotta be a better way. And I think this, you know, it could be an example for a lot of people that go through their jobs and say, there's gotta be a better way of doing this. And there is, it's just, do you have the courage to go through it and do it right. And think about these processes. Right. Um, so thank you, Stephen. Um, this was a pleasure. Um, and you know, maybe we can get you back on and talk about more use cases and things like that. But, uh, where could the listeners um, get in touch with you, find out more, I guess, about uh, this technology and now Prometheus? What's the what's the best way or how can I direct them to you? Um, we can uh, publish my, uh, contact me through Utopia or Prometheus group. Um, I don't know if you're publishing email addresses, but we can, yep. we can do that. Um, scrampton at utopiarink.com. That'll do for Nanette or S. Crampton at prometheusgroup.com. Um, they can reach out to me directly as a starting point um, or literally reach out to any of the standard contacts that are on Prometheus Group or uh, Utopia Inc. websites. So, 
So what I'll do is uh, if, if you're okay with it, I'll put your email in the show notes and a link to that, Prometheus. That, that would be a good way to do and it. And then they can go through there and make sure listeners, if you do reach out, uh, let them know you heard us on uh, Maintenance Disrupted so we can get some credit for that. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this. This has been a great conversation and I'm really pleased to have the opportunity to, to go through it. And I'd love to come back and talk about anything that we go through from there. Be uh, interested, cool. interested to see uh, the reaction. I hope people have enjoyed it. I, I, enjoyed I think it. so. And I think you have a interesting and huge opportunity as um, you start to explore more about the possibilities of machine learning, AI. I would go more than deep, more than machine learning, go into deep learning and things like that. So um, I think, you know, you have an opportunity because you have that data, you have the pictures to really do something magical. So hopefully I'll, I'll hear about it or you let me know first, Blair, we crack this deep learning uh, image recognition. Let's talk about it on the show. So I look forward to that. Awesome. All Fantastic. Right. Thank Thanks you, Steven. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, listeners. Well, thank you for tuning in to the end of this podcast with Stephen Crampton of Utopia. Hopefully you got a better understanding of what technology can do to help you become more accurate and efficient with updating and keeping your master data up to date. Uh, just a reminder and thank you to our sponsor, Star West Petroleum, for continuing to sponsor this podcast. And if you are in the BC and Alberta area, I highly recommend you contact them. And also it helps support and keep this podcast going. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week.